No, no, you're not supposed to do it like that. You're supposed to go. Live. That's how no. <laughs> I don't even have my fancy microphone set up, so <laughs> apologize. Apologies for the uh, sound quality issues, I guess, in advance. Um, but uh, we are uh, we're going to we're going to keep this to a, a hot hour, and uh, so we'll get right into it. Uh, Kristen, how are you doing on this fine Saturday afternoon? Uh, real good. Uh, very excited to have Christopher Snowden here today. He's a uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of fangirling a little bit today. Um, and uh, it's been a good week because my daughter turned 21 yesterday. I has had my birthday two days before that. Um, young 55 now. Ugh, can't believe it. <laughs> um, so we're, all, yeah, we're gonna keep it short and sweet today because we're all going out to, we're taking my daughter out for dinner for her birthday tonight. Uh, we've got about an hour trip for that, so. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about our, our guest today. How about you? Yeah, likewise, excited to have Christopher Snowden on the show. And um, uh, we had my wife's birthday week last week, uh, the previous weekend, not this week. Uh, I know better than to tell you how old she is, so you can ask her. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a good time. It's uh, definitely the end of summer up here. I'm in between uh, things I'm doing today. Uh, I did a storytelling workshop earlier this afternoon if I was a little oh. bit late getting here. Uh, and then I'm going back to the, the place, which is like 45 minutes away to, to hear the storyteller give his stories. Uh, oh, cool. Nestor, Nestor Gomez, if anybody's interested, look him up. Uh, he's been participating in the moth storytelling stuff for a few years and he's won it like 60 times. And he's come all the way out to the, you know, quiet, uh, sleepy North country, New York to, to share his uh, experiences uh, with budding storytellers like me. So. Um, that's really cool. Um, and so now that we're all caught up on how we're doing, uh, why don't we get right into it? And uh, um, wait, wait, though, before you do that, uh, Logan's saying you should probably turn your mic up just a little bit to hear you me? a little bit better. I can I can do you one better. Uh, I think that's that sounds much better right there. Oh, I had this microphone on the entire time. <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and apologize for all of that. Nasty. <laughs> Grassroots, everybody. Grassroots. <laughs> don't, don't, don't find me in the comments. Um, All right. Well, okay. So, uh, well, we'll uh, let's do the, the the thing for legislative. Um, First. Yeah, I don't. Compare any le uh, I, I don't think it's changed that much since the last time we okay. were on here. It's the end of the year, so we don't expect to see a whole lot of stuff. The only thing I would say is that if you live in New York City, be on the lookout for something being introduced or moving in the way of uh, a further ban on flavors. Uh, but I haven't heard any updates about that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we'll update it on our website and and we'll send out email alerts as, as more information becomes available. Um, so uh, that is the, the, the non-legislative update update. Uh, and and I figured we can probably get right into to bringing Christopher on. Cool. Fantastic. That was a seamless transition. Um, <laughs> we do have Logan in the background doing everything today, guys. But here's Christopher Snowden. Hi. Yeah, welcome. Hi. I, I Kristen went through the the effort of, of putting together all of these notes and and a and a, a nice introduction for you. So I'm going to go ahead and read this, uh, especially <laughs> for folks who who may not know who our guest is. Uh, Christopher Snowden is the head of lifestyle economics at the Institute of Economic Affairs, or IEA, based in the UK. 
Uh, his research focuses on social freedoms, prohibition, and policy-based evidence. That's is that a, that's not a typo, is it? That's right. Yeah. Okay, because we always hear evidence-based policy, and I'm sure there's we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, he is a regular contributor to the Spectator Health blog and Spiked, and often appears on TV and radio discussing social and economic issues. He's the editor of the Nanny State Index and the author of four books: Selfishness, Greed, and Capitalism, The Art of Suppression. The Spirit of Level Delusion, and Velvet Glove Iron Fist. He's also written more than a dozen reports for the IEA, including Drinking Fast and Slow, The Proof of the Pudding, Denmark's Fat Tax Fiasco, Cheap as Chips, Sock Puppets, and Closing Time, Who's Killing the British Pub. Welcome, Christopher Snowden. Thank you. Thank you. I've written two more books since you got that intro as well. Killed you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's, that's going back a bit but yeah look it's great to be on i really admire your organization i really admire everyone in america who's trying to push back against all your insane laws i don't envy you one bit um so you know well done for your stamina and perseverance it's <laughs> yeah it's it's uh there's there's uh it, it's a grind over here for sure but um i, I know I, I think i speak for for many people many of our members of course who are grateful for for your work and, and your continuing contribution to this um and uh I, I think you know the the impetus for having you on today was uh something that you had had written on your on your blog about uh this suggestion that uh twitter needed stricter content moderation so that people weren't getting all kinds of funny ideas about less harmful tobacco products. Um, maybe maybe give you the, the floor here for a minute and kind of uh, discuss that a little bit for, for our, our folks who, who maybe haven't read, read your post. Sure. Um, I mean, this is one of many studies that is based on just people going through Twitter. Now, I go on Twitter a lot, but you know, I don't really claim it's an integral part of my job and I don't try and get research out of it. But there's been a lot of it last few years. I think COVID um you know led to a lot more of it because of the lockdowns and stuff so even these public health researchers who are mostly just looking at their screens anyway um looked at twitter even more and it's, it's kind of creepy actually some of it i mean not this particular study so much although it's a bit kind of weird but you know there's um I mean, there's been a lot of studies uh, specifically involving vaping, other things too, but specifically involving vaping, where they just look, they, they basically, um, you know, uh, spy on you. Well, not spy, I guess it's a public platform, but they stalk you, I guess. It's yeah. cyber stalk you, right? So they, and they, these are, I don't mean people of any, you know, political significance. I just mean normal people, you know. And um, and they see somebody saying something positive about vaping, and they just assume that this must be, somebody either a bot uh they don't seem to really understand what the word bot means um or somebody from the industry you know and yeah you, you can't ch check this stuff because they don't like publish every single tweet that they're talking about and it would be a violation probably privacy if they did um but you know i i see enough of twitter and i know enough vapors on twitter to know that these people are legit real people i've met quite a few of them you know um, and in fact, now and again, when they have tweets, when they have quoted one of these tweets, I, I could work out who it was. And it is somebody I know. And I know they're not a bot and I know they don't work for industry or anything else. Anyway, there's been a number of studies where they, they look at people's tweets about vaping. And the general conclusion is that most people who are tweeting about vaping are very pro vaping or at least fairly pro vaping. Uh, you guys know what it's like on, on, on Twitter when it comes to vaping. You have a small but dedicated bunch of people who tweet about vaping one hell of a lot 
and they are not really counterbalanced by a commensurate number of people who hate vaping and tweet about how much they hate it. There are a few people who, who tweet about how much they hate vaping, but not very many at all. Um, and they don't go on about it that much. So they, um, the obvious conclusion is, you know, that, that at the very least, vaping has some pretty um, you know, passionate adherents who really believe that, you know, e-cigarettes are a fantastic miracle product that could get many millions of people off cigarettes if, uh, if given the opportunity. But this isn't the message that the people who are doing these studies want to hear because in the case of this study you specifically mentioned i think it's uh, somebody from the truth initiative um, is one of the authors and truth initiative i gather is some kind of disinformation organization that you have in the states <laughs> maybe uh funded by the taxpayer i think uh quite significant sums of money um and uh, so yeah they don't want to they don't want to hear it they don't want to see it they don't want to believe it um, and when sometimes when people who are, you know, fanatical about something, as you know, these people, I, I suspect, are in their hatred of vaping, they um, they will go to great lengths to block out the information that, you know, they're outnumbered, basically, you know, the, the people who are fanatically pro vaping are a greater number than than they are. And so they um, they went through Twitter all, with regards to one particular issue, one particular issue that's quite um interesting and quite funny which is the fact and i think we probably can call it a fact at this stage that people who smoke um possibly people who take nicotine overall but for sure people who smoke are at less risk of catching covid19 catching sars-cov-2 um and this was a a, a interesting hypothesis initially with constantinos uh, uh, constantine fasolinos um, uh, First notices looking at the very early data from China in, in February 2020, um, where as a matter of course, these hospitals would take a note of whether someone's a smoker or not. And he noticed that if you consider how many people in China smoke, which is a lot of them, um, far fewer smokers were in hospital with COVID-19. Now, that was just, a, you know, just a, a, a correlation, you know. People often say, you know, correlation is not causation when actually they're implying that it really is. But on this occasion... You can... <laughs> You know, well, you know, well, the people in hospital are for a start off, right? So, you know, what, you can't just look at the, the general smoking rate in the entire population. But then other studies came along and they did the appropriate epidemiological tests and the age standardized it and they adjusted for sex and various other confounding factors. And time and time again, you've got this really quite strong association. It averages out roughly at like a 50% reduction in risk which for a global pandemic prior to the vaccines is really a pretty big deal, right? I mean, it's actually better than the vaccines in terms of, um, in terms of reducing transmission, right? Um, and this has been shown dozens and dozens of times. I've, I've been doing a, uh, I've been updating a blog post that I started uh, towards the middle of 2020, and I'm not claiming it's any kind of, you know, meticulous, you know, systematic review, but I have had my, eyes on the prize thanks to a guy called phil on on twitter you probably know yeah. incredible, yeah. <laughs> incredible workhorse, yeah? and he lets me know when a relevant study has been published and when i say relevant i mean one that uses normal epidemiological techniques uh, just for, for age and sex and, and what, what have you and um i'm now actually up to 100 i'm going to stop now because i can't carry on with this forever but i'm up to 100 i'm on 98 officially but i've got two more from phil i'm going to update them uh, shortly, and then I'm going to stop. Um, and of those hundred, about ninety-three or four 
show statistically significant reductions in risk from catching COVID using various different methodologies. Um, very solid result. There are a few that kind of lean in that direction, but they're not statistically significant. And there are two or three that suggest that smokers are more likely to get it. Now, <clears throat> it's not just weight and numbers epidemiology, is it? But that is an overwhelming majority of studies. And if this, if this was about anything else, if this was about the risks of smoking, you would have stopped after 20 and said this is overwhelming. Mm. Um, so that is just, it's a very interesting fact and people don't want to talk about it. And in a way, it's kind of a, a useless piece of information because public health agencies are never going to take, tell people to start smoking to reduce their risk of COVID. And everyone's going to get COVID anyway. Most people already have had COVID. So the fact that smoking makes you less likely to get it is neither here nor there. We've all been vaccinated. The whole thing's basically over as a, as a major public health issue. But nevertheless, it's interesting. And I think the fact that, that you know, it's not been taken on um yeah, the fact that people in public health have not shown much interest in it, I think, is in itself interesting, right? So then you get this study. Um, as I say, not the first one, uh, but it looks at what people are saying about this particular issue on Twitter. And it includes people like Farsalinos, who did this original study, and he's tweeting about it and saying, wow, this is pretty, you know, interesting, and maybe it's nicotine. And this is what these guys are really interested in. They're not bothered about smoking, because smoking's kind of pretty much done and dusted, as far as they're concerned, as you know. Yourselves, the Truth Initiative and like-minded bodies are mainly interested in clapping down on e-cigarettes. And it was merely the suggestion that it might be nicotine, which it probably is, um, that was leading to this reduced risk of, um, of SARS-CoV-2 among smokers that got them agitated. And I think it's too late for me to say cut a long story short because I've been going on for so long, but because I'm relatively short. Um, they found lots of tweets about this issue, and most of them were saying it looks like smokers are at less risk of COVID-19. Uh, COVID um, and so a few of them were saying this could be nicotine, therefore possibly cigarettes uh, have a part. They consider, the authors of this study, consider this to be disinformation. Um, what they do is they introduce a study with a couple of cherry-picked um, you can barely call them studies, really, but one of them was by Stanton Glantz, who very early on put out some piece of junk saying actually smokers are at more risk. And it is true, actually, that, that smokers possibly, or quite possibly, um, suffer more when they get COVID-19, right. right? But that's not actually the, the question that's at stake. And even that actually isn't certain. The only certain thing is that former smokers definitely suffer more from mm. uh, COVID-19, presumably because they have underlying health conditions, which is perfectly, you know, um, which is probably why they quit <laughs> right yeah yeah I mean it's not that they should have keep, kept smoking necessarily just no but, but they, they, but they, you, they get it yeah, they when they get it because they've already damaged their bodies fair enough but the fact remains you know smokers themselves are less likely to get it and that's the real question and the authors of this study avoid that question because that would lead them down a you know the, a path they don't want to look at and they um they say well this is appalling because you've got loads of people well they say i mean it's actually a really small it's actually a really small number of people i think it's like 28 people who they're following here tweeting mm -hmm. about this i mean it's really of no significance now, i'm fairly skeptical about how much twitter changes anyone's mind anyway but you know Farsalinos and a few other people and a journalist and me or whatever tweeting about this yeah really it isn't yeah during a pandemic haven't you got better things to look at in public health you know, <laughs> apparently not so um so they write this all up and say you know of all the tweets we looked at most of them were saying that they think that um smoking reduces the risk of covid not many of them were saying the opposite 
this is a big worry. And the line that the um, the, the made me laugh a bit at the end is um, the the ob I'm quoting here the observable pro vaping bias of the most outspoken users discussing COVID nineteen and nicotine inevitably meant that even attempts to debunk such information on the platform did not receive nearly the same amount of traffic. Now that just seems to me. It just sounds like somebody who's not got many followers complaining about not getting many retweets. Sour grapes. And it really does. I think there's probably not much more to this study. Than that. Is it so some some nutcase of the Truth Initiative was replying to tweets saying, "Oh, actually, if you look at this glance <laughs> analysis, you'll find that you know blah blah," and everyone was ignoring him or mocking him. Um, so that's yeah, right. that's the state of public health science these days. That state of anti-vaping science. A huge amount of it is based on trolling Twitter. And then simply asserting this is the truth. And I guess this is the kind of serious point is they assert from the outset, this is the truth that there is smoking does not prevent COVID-19. In fact, it makes it much worse. And therefore, when we present to you these Twitter accounts saying the opposite, even if they're only legitimately asking questions or just simply sharing a news article, which is what a lot of these guys were doing. They were just sharing like articles from The Economist. Or the Telegraph, you know, reputable news outlets who had reported this at the time, The Guardian. Quite a few people reported this at the time in mm -hmm. 2020. Even that, that's disinformation. Sharing <laughs> sharing an article, which in itself wasn't saying, like, smoking definitely prevents COVID. Let's make everyone start smoking and vaping. It was just saying, well, this is a thing that's happened. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The the uh, you know, a couple of points I, I think that you've, you've brought up here, um, uh, it, this it. I don't know if this is, you know, a, a fair enough characterization broadly, but I think it's been our experience that so few people from tobacco control side or, or to uh, have done any with us whatsoever. I mean, the idea that one of these folks would come onto somebody's tweet and reply with, uh, you know, oh, you should check out this study from Glance. I mean, aut automatically that's going to get dismissed. But, you know, I, I we haven't had a lot of social media engagement with these people. And 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 so I, I guess I mean, the most social social ingredient, social media engagement that we've had with these folks is that all of us are on a blacklist somewhere. And I mean, <laughs> I, we've been blocked by people that we've never interacted with. So is it I mean, do they? just automatically they've jumped to that conclusion that I'm not going to get any traction with this community. I should just skip that and go right to making policy recommendations. Well, that that's, I mean, that's a very good point because what they talk about in this study is um, gatekeepers and gate watches. So they invent this term that as far as I can tell has never been used before called gate watches. Um, and the basic idea is that in the good old days, there would be gatekeepers of science and peer reviewed journals and, you know, established doctors could go on TV and say things and people would believe them. And uh, and that was the way it should be. And, and if only we could go back to that. And social media and the Internet has allowed everyone to have a voice. And some people are using their voice in a way that, you know, the Truth Initiative doesn't approve of. Um, and so, again, it's not just this study, it's a whole, a whole literature, you could probably say now, of studies in this area in which these guys in ivory towers are looking at the plebs on, on Twitter and Facebook, seeing what they're saying, are disgusted by it. And then they never quite say, you know, we need to censor the Internet, although they do get quite close to it at times. Um, but the at the very least, they're saying 
this is a big problem for us. This is a big problem that we've got people out there who are sharing articles from The Economist, you know. Um, I, I loved that one, the one line that you said, because you said um, in the paper, it said, although more, this is a quote, although more research is needed, we contribute strong evidence that the ideological lean of the most prolific tweeters on a given subject, pro-vape users discussing COVID-19 and nicotine, directly influence the spread of problematic information that nicotine can prevent COVID, though retweeting much of the most broadly disseminated posts. And I love the next line that you wrote. Now do anti-vapers and see what they've been saying. You wouldn't believe the amount of problematic information those guys pump out, <laughs> which is so yeah. which is so true. It's not ideological at all, are they? You know, no, not at all. Is such a weasel word. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. generally speaking, you, know, you can't see into, you know, you don't have a window into man's soul. So you don't really know what their ideology is. I guess if it was like your Twitter account or something, Thing. people go okay well you know it's a, it's a pro vaping account but is, even there's that ideological such i mean can't people come to a a reasoned conclusion without having some kind of ideology, I don't know, yeah, ideology informational we think <laughs> there's nothing wrong with ideology strictly speaking it's just always used in a pejorative term you know i have an ideology mm -hmm. but i would say it's based on kind of principles and philosophy and thinking things through but it just sounds bad because it makes you sound like a, a bit of fanatic <laughs> you say why well, you're only ideologically opposed to that well, I mean, yeah, in the true sense of what that means, I'm opposed to it because I've, you know, read a lot about it, I thought a lot about it, and I have certain principles. But so what? I mean, presumably you're, mm. I like to think that you're in the same position. I mean, it doesn't get you anywhere. It's just there as a kind of a slur, you know. So all they're saying is, you know, people who are um, pro-nicotine were more interested and more uh, receptive to this hypothesis than people who hated nicotine and want, you know, smoking and vaping stamped out. Well, yeah, no shit. I know a lot of us found it very interesting because we're always told by tobacco control that nicotine has no benefits and there's no reason for almost for it to not even exist, you know, even though we know there's lots of studies with Alzheimer's and things like that. Mm. <clears throat> but they, yeah, so that was, to me, that was fascinating because here's a possible another benefit of nicotine above and beyond just recreational use um but uh well the... it's, it's got to be so, you know, assuming this this finding is true which i mean it really does seem to be okay yeah all right it's not useful with COVID <clears throat> for the reasons i've already said but you know if you can establish what's going on there, that really could be genuinely useful for other viruses mm. and stuff along the line, right? And, and, and medicines, potentially. It's at least worth looking into. And if you have this mm. kind of blackout about it, um, and, and you've got peer-reviewed studies explicitly saying this is just a lie disseminated by a few cranks on Twitter, you potentially could be missing out on quite a useful medical breakthrough, can you? I mean, yeah, and I mean, when you allow this, uh, well, I'm going to use ideology to overcome science like this. I mean, that really is a problem of ideology. When you 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 you're going, well, we can't talk about this. We can't talk about any benefits of nicotine because people will get the wrong end of the stick. People will start smoking. I don't think anyone started smoking after reading these articles in order to prevent getting COVID nineteen. It no. wasn't going to happen. So we we shouldn't be panicking about that kind of stuff. But it's perfectly plausible, and various scientists in these Numerous studies have, have, have put forward biological mechanisms that I'm in no way qualified to comment on, but they seem to know what they're talking about. And it's certainly, 
is yeah, it's certainly not ridiculous to suggest that um, nicotine could have something to do with the ACE2 receptors or whatever it is, right? I mean, it's a, as soon as this um, hypothesis was first raised based on how few Chinese smokers are in hospital, people were going like, yeah, well, that would make sense because nicotine does do that. We do, we do know this about nicotine, yeah. So let's not shut down this, you know, potentially useful area of research just because we don't like e-cigarettes. Right. Well, yeah, they're probably afraid that in the middle of a pandemic, oh my gosh, people won't quit smoking if they know this, you know, like anybody was thinking about smoking when people were dying from COVID, you know. I'm sorry, Alex, what were you saying? Well, no, as you know, more more broadly, I mean, this is an excellent point that applies to really all drugs, and that you know, especially here and, and in other places around the world, we've had this federal prohibition on all kinds of drugs, uh, and you know, cannabis, of course, is in the spotlight. Psilocybin uh, now, with its you know the the potential to treat PTSD and other issues, um, uh, and but the the it, it's still federally illegal, and so we have researchers. I don't know if beating beating down the doors is the appropriate way to say it, but you know there is this vacuum of knowledge about these substances, and and I, I think you know this certainly is is part and parcel with that. It's it's sort of like you know you know be still my beating heart if anybody finds out that you know the suppression of your immune system is actually a good thing in the face of COVID nineteen. What 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 kind of craziness are we going to see? And I I, I may be misremembering this, but I, I think. You know, once these reports were coming out about nicotine or or, to, or smoking, uh, uh, maybe I don't want to say preventing COVID nineteen, but uh, seeing lower cases in in people who smoke. Uh, if I remember correctly, there was a, a France pivoted to say, okay, we have to put a there's a, there's a limit on the amount of nicotine replacement therapy that you can buy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because so that was really the only example I can think of of people like panic buying nicotine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just so obviously these, um, uh, yeah, these reports do have some kind of effect. I, I, I doubt anyone was actually taking up smoking, probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they took up NRT, and well, yeah, what's the harm in that? I mean, one of the interesting studies that came out only a few weeks ago, um, very interesting, because someone finally got around to doing this very obvious research, is that they gave um, a certain group of people in the hospital who had COVID nicotine patches, or smokers. I mean, not non-smokers, they, they gave, um, I think it was randomized, I think I could be wrong, but they certainly had a group of smokers who didn't get nicotine patches and they had a group of smokers who did. And the ones who had the nicotine patches did a lot better. Their survival rate was better. Their outcomes were better. They were in hospital for less long. Now, this seems to be an extremely powerful piece of evidence that needs to be followed through on. Yeah. You know, with the right amount of research, perhaps you're coming up with an application that can be used for, you know, not limited to people who smoke. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more more room to explore here. And uh, ideologue is the word that, you know, gets us mixed up with ideology. Um, but it's it's the ideologues that, that stand in the way and, and um, you know, are really a barrier to discovery and curiosity, especially in this issue. Yeah, um, it's been a fascinating issue because, I mean, it's such a crazy, you know, who would have predicted it, right? You've got a respiratory disease and smoking seems to prevent it. I mean, I didn't really believe it. I just thought mm. it was a funny finding, you know. But as I say, 100 studies now, at least, 100 that I'm aware of, you know, all pretty much all pointing in the same direction with a plausible biological mechanism behind it. Um, it's an amazing kind of uh way of highlighting this problem because you mentioned you know dementia parkinson's alzheimer's you know diseases that do seem to respond 
to nicotine. Pharmaceutical companies do research with nicotine into them. And yet we're told that all the all the studies that show that smokers are less likely to get these diseases are all disfunded by big tobacco and we shouldn't trust them. Hmm. You know, yeah. so we, we are cutting ourselves off from, you know, potentially really quite useful uh, data. I would like to think that, you know, people who really study this stuff ignore all that noise and just crack on and, and look at it. But I'm not sure that's happening with, um, <laughs> with nicotine and, and coronaviruses. Because, of course, it could apply to other coronaviruses. This is the, mm -hmm. the relevant thing. Yeah, that's true. For sure. I mean, it's, and it's interesting because they, they not only did they do the study of following people on Twitter and they were deliberately misleading how they twisted between, um, you know, oh, they're doing all this misinformation on Twitter. And the, you know, in fact, uh, people who smoke have worse outcomes. Than, it's like, that wasn't the question. That wasn't what those studies were about. It wasn't about outcomes. It was about getting it. Yeah. And they do that a lot. You'll see them do that a lot with things in, in, in research. Cause I ended up reading a lot of research too with this job and, and it, they'll twist it. They'll, they'll, it's like, why are you asking that question? Or why are you answering that question when we're really, we should be asking this question. And, and that, but that was so deliberate of, you know, all these people are talking about how, you know, are misinforming about COVID preventing or, or, nicotine or vaping or smoking preventing covid but really you know it's misinformation because people have worse outcomes yeah what? it's very slippery um you know the, these guys work by constantly asserting things and then doing it again and again and again True. in different studies until there is an overwhelming body of evidence um, yeah, th these guys obviously have, they, they are the gatekeepers, right? I mean, they, they, they really are the gatekeepers. They have way more access to um, the peer-reviewed literature than scientists who are more kind of open-minded about this. I'm not saying that you know, impartial or pro-vaping scientists can't get published. They do, and there is st good stuff gets published, but it's a minority because all the money is with the likes of the Truth Institute and the Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids and Stanton Glantz and, you know, these uh, anti-vaping lunatics. And... Science shouldn't be decided by weighted numbers, but I think in, in terms of practical politics, it usually is. And so what you get is um, a group of scientists will produce incredibly flimsy and academically worthless research like this, you know, just trawling through Twitter, trawling, trawling through Facebook, watching TV adverts, whatever it might be. I mean, the, the, the standard of some of the stuff I read is laughable, right? It's literally just people sat around. You know, um, and um, uh, and and although it has no worth in and of itself as academic research in any way, they will include these assertions. Uh, they will say that you know nicotine causes brain damage, and you know vaping doesn't get people off cigarettes, and there's a gateway effect. So they'll repeat all this stuff again and again and again, even when it's not even directly relevant, really, to whatever pathetic conclusion and results that they've they've come up with and it just builds up this echo chamber really but then you can cite this and you can cite that and if you need to go lobby a politician you can bring a stack of papers along that big and slap them down and say these people all say that ends or whatever stupid word they're using for e-cigarettes um you know don't work they don't work and flavors are bad and there's a gateway effect and so on and so on and so on and there are at least 50 or 60 studies about vaping come out every week. Yeah. I get a mailing, I'm on a mailing list and see them all. 
and um, about 90% of them are anti-vaping. Mm -hmm. uh, and the vast majority of those are either yeah, involve incredibly trivial research, like the kind of thing we're talking about today, or they're glorified op-eds, um, right. or they're pointless and meaningless you know, experiments on zebrafish or petri dishes or right. maybe you know um and it is but it is even though it has no intrinsic value there's a lot of it that's mm -hmm. they rely on there's a lot of it and they will always outnumber the decent honest science uh, scientists because the, the the money especially in america is all on the anti-vaping side mm. and if you look at anti if you look at the anti-vaping studies they you can't really call them science so often because a real scientist would look at something and say, well, why is that? Why is that the case? What is causing that? You know, and, and they'll just come up with something, um, you know, like about dual use and say, you know, so many of these smokers haven't quit. That's a bad thing. Stop it there. Boom. Vaping bad. They don't go, okay, well, why is that? Could it be because the people who have the hardest time quitting smoking are the ones who are turning to vaping. Could it be, you know, there's so many other things that they could look at, but they don't care. They're just looking for something to say, it doesn't work. It's bad. You shouldn't be using this. It's just, you know, and it just reminds me of in the, in your book, uh, Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, you quoting Stanton Glantz and in when he said um, that uh, somebody asked him what his, what his goals were, you know, and, and the, the reporter was surprised when he didn't say that it was, you know, to save lives or to help people, it was to destroy the tobacco industry. And I mean, that was one of a red light, a red, you know, bright light moment for me when I read that in your book, because it's just, it's true that he doesn't, that he and a lot of these people don't care about people who smoke. They don't care about their health. They just want to destroy the tobacco company. And a lot of them turn around after, after say, you ask them, well, what would you do after this? And they say, find a different cause, yeah. you know? <laughs> but your book, I, I, I often tell people who are advocates to it, Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, and even Art of Suppression, but Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, because it's talked so much about how tobacco came to be. And I mean, I couldn't put it down the first time I read it. I'm rereading it again right now. And it, it really opened my eyes to how tobacco control people got to where they are, what their roots are in and what their real goals are. And if you understand that they're not about helping people, you understand that all the different things that we used in early on in, the, in, in vaping advocacy, those arguments aren't gonna work because just their MO is so deceptive and disingenuous and, and, and self-serving and I always tell people your book should be a must read for any vaping advocate. And we'll put links to his books in the description later on, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's a must read. Buy it now from America because the, the pound is a 30 year. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's when, when a pound is nearly a dollar now. So this is a great time for me to be <laughs> from Britain. Look, I mean, um, when I started writing that book, I did it before I, you know, it was one of these things where you have the idea for the book and then you do the research. It wasn't like I knew a lot about it. I thought I'd write a book about this. It was, I thought, I was still a big smoker then, you know, and I didn't really know any anti-smoking people. I didn't know anybody who wanted a, a you know, smoking band in pubs. I wondered who these people were. And I assumed that they would be, 
you know, maybe not necessarily to my taste, but they would be quirky or eccentric individuals, you know, fanatics, single issue guys, you know, whatever. Um, which, of course, for most of the anti-smoking history, they were. And you have people like Lennox Johnson, you might remember, and um, Lucy Page Gaston, you know, pretty classic um, weirdo prohibitionist and stuff. Oh, wait, wait, just I have to stop you there because you mentioned Johnson because he popped into my head earlier, too, because of this whole Twitter thing, because he was such... He was so crazy that anybody who disagreed with him, he'd be like, addict, addict, you're you're just yeah. an addict and you're working for the tobacco companies. And I thought, oh my God, that sounds just like the people on Twitter who are calling us bots. And that was what, 200 years ago? I mean, no, no, wasn't that the 1800s? Late, no, late 150? Late 1800s, was he? This is the guy, I should say, for those who haven't read the book, he... Um, he was injected in, in um, he was uh, addicted to injecting himself with nicotine basically he gave us i think by injecting himself with nicotine then he started injecting other people with nicotine and it was all to show that nicotine was addictive I mean, it's actually quite useful research um, <laughs> and um i mean he was way ahead of his time in some ways he was kind of a extraordinary guy but mm. he, he very quickly became a fanatic because he was convinced pre-richard doll that um, smoking caused cancer and nicotine was extremely addictive and he um, he, he wanted to get rid of it at a time when like 60% of the UK population smoked and you know it was never going to happen um, and then he got very jealous of Doll and Hill because they mm -hmm. then kind of proved the using epigenology that smoking caused lung cancer and he never really forgave them and he he kind of went off into the wilderness really he's kind of John the Baptist figure of the anti-smoking movement <laughs> But yeah, one of them, he's a good example, right? Somebody who's kind of an interesting character, and you can kind of admire him in a sense, even though you think, you know, he's not really enough of a libertarian for me personally, but, you know, who is? But then you get to the, certainly the 90s. By the time you got to the 90s, the anti-smoking movement is entirely just professional enterprise. You know, it's a business. It's a racket, really. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly with the Master Settlement Agreement, it pretty much officially becomes a racket. Um, so you don't even have interesting characters. I mean, I put Glantz in the book quite a lot because he's a slightly mm. you know, colourful character, you know. And it's interesting to see that he has now, you know, carried on and become like the main, the main person that all the vapors hate. And that was really cool. <laughs> um, it's Banzap for a while, but he just kind of disappeared. Banzap, yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, there's a few. You, when you're writing a book like this, you, you've got to pick, you know, three or four characters and bring them into it to represent other people you know because obviously there's more there's more people you don't want that many characters and a lot of them are really bland that's the bottom line and this is my point that nowadays a lot of they're all really bland because they're just doing a job and they do this job for a while and then they go off and do another job they go and join you know an environmental ngo or something else you know they're not their hearts aren't really in it they're just being paid to do it but and you you you're talking about this kind of makes me want to ask this question I my sense of it is in America, that with the anti vaping thing now, it is more of a genuine moral hysteria. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe there are cynical people who are just doing it for a job, you know, paid a lot of money, you know, the Truth Initiative or whatever. But my sense of it is, unlike in Britain, that there is a real reefer madness kind of insanity going on. It's there. the same save the children thing you saw with tobacco, you know. In the early anti-tobacco stuff of you know and like you said in your book in the beginning it was all about stopping children that you know from well, getting, i don't think the anti i don't think the anti-tobacco thing was ever that hysterical really well I, yeah well i don't know when they were i mean i don't know maybe you should I, read your book um <laughs> 
teasing. But yeah, it's it, it. I mean, the, but the the thing that they're doing is basically all about save the children again, and it's just the same thing that they started with the with the anti tobacco stuff, and they're they're ignoring all day. You know, all data, anything that says that vaping's down, smoking's down, that's all ignored, you know, so you know it's got to be a moral thing and not, it was all about flavors, let's vape, let's, let's ban flavors because of kids, but tobacco is okay, flavors okay, so they're not dangerous, but only dangerous if they taste like bubble, I mean, generation addicted, which is not showing up, you know. I, I think, you know, I, I this is not a one to one like America story, but you know, I did have a conversation with a parent in in in, in Quebec recently. Uh, my wife is from Quebec. And so we went there for her birthday barbecue. And and one of one of our friends uh, has kids and his his daughter is, is vaping. Uh, I think she's 14. And so knowing what I do, he came up to me and asked, you know, so is it really as bad as they're saying? And I went through the whole spiel of, you know, it's better that she's vaping instead of smoking. And the most important thing is that you can have an open and honest conversation with your children. And as far as like, and he was very concerned about gateway. And I said, look, it's, it's, you know, poly use is the better explanation. It's not, you know, a, a, a progression to more dangerous or risky products. And the most important thing is that, you know, always give your kid an out. If they've got that trust, if they can call you when they get in a situation, that's the best thing for them. And, and, and pointed him, I still need to send him an email with the, the, some, some educational materials from the Drug Policy Alliance. But, you know, the other thing about this, I, I think parents are looking at this, and I, I don't want to speak for you, Kristen, but because uh, I'm not a parent, but I think parents are coming at this with that concern and fear of all the horrible things that they've heard. And then, and, and that's the real parent's concern, but it turns into a morality issue with this constant beating of the drum of, Tobacco companies are preying on your children, and that's wrong. Are, yes, any 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 industry that is you know peddling harmful things that we know are dangerous that is preying on unsuspecting customers, we don't we we agree that that's that's a bad thing to do. And they can only the the, the real deception here, of course, is that they don't pay any attention to how this industry actually came to be, and specifically vaping in that this was a ground up consumer movement because the tobacco companies weren't adapting to our needs and public health wasn't adapting to our needs. And so we just did it on our own. And that's the part of the narrative that I feel is intentionally left out all the time. And so that's that's kind of how they can get away with with making this a morality issue. And that's why they they work so hard to associate us with, or vaping with mm -hmm. big tobacco as opposed to being what it really is. And it, it's, yeah. Yeah, I know this. It's interesting. I, I don't think that the, the big tobacco kind of rhetoric, I don't think has ever gone down quite as well in, in Britain as it has in America. Hmm. Um, I, I think I, maybe even in Velvet Glove Iron Fist, I think I quote Stan Glantz saying mm -hmm. um, something along the lines of, you know, like uh, harnessing this hatred of big tobacco and indeed right. of big industry generally has been like one of the most powerful things that we've had um in in you know in, in his cause and i guess i think that's true I, it's never i don't think it's ever really taken off particularly in britain i mean you talk about big tobacco people will go Ooh, you know in, even in britain but mostly because it's been imported from america people probably mm -hmm. can't tell you a lot of the time exactly what you think big tobacco has done um and the big tobacco story the um 
uh, the, you know, the, the files that were sent to, to glance stuff. It was American stuff. The relationship between the tobacco industry and the, and the government in Britain was actually very different. I mean, they, 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 they were working together on, you know, on safer uh, cigarettes in, in the 70s. I know there were two in America, but they kind of had a different thing going on in Britain where they were trying something quite weird, actually. Um, which I won't go into. Uh, but the bottom line is that they had accepted that smoking causes lung cancer, basically, you know, which is, of course, not what they've done in, in America. Um, so, I mean, my point is, I don't think, like, rank-and-file people in Britain kind of blame the tobacco industry for people smoking, by and large, mm -hmm. you know? Right. I don't think they think that they're preying on people. I think we just think, well, some people like smoking, some people don't, and it's, it's getting less and less common, less and less popular, but... Um, that particular bogeyman has never been quite as strong as it has been uh, in in America. And also we have more of a history of harm reduction in, in Britain. I mean, not like at the population level, but at the academic level. Mm. Um, so you know, uh, Michael Russell, uh, Robert West, um, and McNeil, the Clyde Bates, they, these people have, you know, they never got snooze legalized, but they were interested in it. Uh, this move, as I mentioned before, in the 70s, trying to create the safer cigarette. It was, there was an understanding that nicotine was basically safe, right? Um, and it was, you know, it was a tire that kills, like Russell said. So we were very lucky in, in Britain, really. That's what it comes down to. We were lucky because they could easily have been banned. It could easily have been put under medical regulations. Right. Um, and I don't give many props to Deborah Arna at Ash, but, you know, she <laughs> on this particular issue. If she hadn't, it could have been different. If a few people like Linda Bold or Public Health England swung a different way, it definitely would have been different. Right. Um, but some of these people, fortunately, were not in the ivory tower or they weren't always in the ivory tower. And they stepped out of the ivory tower at least long enough to meet smoking <laughs> at the time. Uh, to listen to vapors from time to time, and the vapors here were pretty vocal. Um, and just in the nick of time, they saw with their own eyes that there were smokers who they'd been giving nicotine patches and gums to, who didn't even touch the sides, made no difference whatsoever, who were of their own accord going down the high street, buying a vape and giving up smoking. Having... Mm -hmm never given up for more than like six hours before you know and uh, they just didn't dismiss that they they understood that, that was obviously a good thing they're anti-smoking campaigners of course it's a good thing this is a gift from god if you're an anti-smoking campaigner this is what drives me insane i'm sure it drives you insane i i don't even like anti-smoking campaigners I, don't, I think people should be able to smoke if they want to i don't care how many people smoke but if you are an anti-smoking campaigner you've got something that gets people off cigarettes no cost to the taxpayer. Why would you be against that, right? And like so Stanton said, <laughs> have to assume either these people are incredibly stupid or they're bad faith actors. There is no other option, is there? There's mm -hmm. no alternative. Am I being unfair? Mm -mm. No. The only other thing I can think of is fear. Tobacco. Fear. Fear. I, I just I think it's fear, and I, I I've had to yeah. sort of consider moderating my own tone when talking about all of this because I don't. Uh, I don't want to be I don't want to participate in, in these people having a reason to dig their heels in in harder. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've sort of thought for a while that, you know, we have there are researchers in this field who are sort of indoctrinated into the very uh, rigid anti-tobacco stance. Uh, but uh, as we've seen, there was that group of, of young researchers who had that article published and, and they're pointing out the divisions in tobacco research. 
Um, I think there are a lot of people who uh, are, are perhaps uh, maybe they feel some responsibility for some of this garbage that they've published and, and they would rather take that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there is an easy way to navigate this and, and save face and just, you know, come around as science does. Science changes. Our understanding of the world changes. Uh, and and there, there is no need to, you know, persecute somebody for making a mistake that one time, even though it led to people being misinformed and dying. It's still that's the progress of science. Um, but, yeah, I do think I think for not all we only see them and folks, but for the back of there are some of them who are just scared and figure that doubling down is is the best way to go. Keep their heads down, keep their job. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of folks have expressed fear in in going against the grain in tobacco control because you end up on a blacklist. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, the same thing happened in with like secondhand smoke studies that came out that you wrote about, Christopher, about how they got blacklisted by daring to say yeah, secondhand that. smoke didn't have evidence behind it. They didn't find any evidence that it did that. Can I mention another uh, Twitter-based study before we go? Sure. Oh, yeah. I say it's Twitter, but I don't think I've written about this one yet. Um, mm. but I found it absolutely stunning. This is actually a, a reasonable piece of work. Uh, it's still basically just a survey, really. It's a glorified survey, so it's not like the, the state-of-the-art science. And although it portrays itself as being about Twitter, it's not really. It, they just showed a group of people. It's a randomized study. They showed a group of pe people four messages, but these messages were on tweets. That's the only like Twitter element to it. They're not trolling people through people's oh, Twitter feeds. And as far as I can see, they, they didn't need to be on tweets. They could have just been on a, on a piece of paper or something. But anyway, they, they showed different groups one of four messages and one of the messages um was you know well two of them were true two of them were false basically so the the two that were false were that e-cigarettes are totally safe and um vaping causes popcorn lung and there was two that were that, that were true i can't remember what they were off the top of my head um and cut a long story short they found a fairly small increase in the number of people who would have negative views of vaping if they were given false harmful information and, and vice versa right okay. I mean, not not particularly staggering uh, results by any means and the effect size was pretty small but yeah basically the conclusion is if you lie to people some people will believe it right, right. what's incredible in this study and I'll, I'll read out the title of it later on if anybody wants to look at it is that no matter who they were what they've been told whether they were given the truthful information, the false information, or no information at all, hardly any of them correctly said that vaping doesn't cause popcorn lung. I mean, like less than 10%. Uh, in fact, I'll give you the exact figure. It was the people who were told that it, vaping is completely harmless, 9.2% of them um, thought that, uh, sorry, 12 12 point, sorry, 12.1% of them, um, having been told it was completely harmless, up from 9.2. So like 3% change of mind based on a fake tweet saying that vaping is completely harmless. Though that was the highest number, 12.1% believed that popcorn didn't cause, sorry, vaping didn't cause popcorn line, down to 6.8% for people who were given information saying that vaping was as harmful or more harmful than cigarettes. This is incredible. I see. I knew that this popcorn lung myth was like the most pervasive myth 
going around the internet. One of them. The kind of thing that people in the pub who are not interested in the issue at all and never vaped will mention popcorn lungs. So I knew it was very widely held. I didn't realize that it was more than 90% of the population, judging by this study. That surprises me too that it's that big. I mean, I, but it wouldn't surprise me if the numbers were very similar for Evali right now. And it's getting even worse that that's spreading. I mean, I've seen articles from The Guardian talking about Evali. And I mean, in The Guardian, I mean, I, I, which is funny because I always wondered why they were that way. And then I saw in your book when I was rereading it that they used to be pretty anti tobacco from way back. <laughs> um, but uh, you see articles all the time about, about them. Said, repeating all the crap that's coming out of America, you know, heart attacks and strokes and, and um, popcorn lung and, you know, Ivali and it, that it increases. I mean, there was a horrible one. And I'm going to have to, I'm going to email you this video from this guy who's a, a neuro, neuroscientist or neurologist or whatever that's going around. They did a two hour show on nicotine and boy, it's just, you wanted to shake the screen after it, but yeah, there's so much misinformation that I'm not surprised people believe it. And, they, and how many doctors think still think that nicotine causes cancer or yeah. um, and hopefully not in, I mean, even in the UK, I'm seeing that it's like sp spreading over there. We're, we're like, I don't know, we're like the syphilis of countries and we're just <laughs> infecting all of you. Well, yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, I think that's it's true because it is, it is. I mean, they're always from California. These these studies that are scaring people. Yeah, I, I understand the journalism business. I get that bad news sells and good news doesn't, and so on. Uh, I, I think it's bloody irresponsible, really, to be publishing things like you know, e-cigarettes worse than tobacco, when you probably don't even believe that as a journalist, and you're just trying to get a headline. Um, but you know, I'm not going to start censoring the press. I get how it works, but it's um, yeah, it's always from the Bay Area of California, this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, Ivali has had, I think, has had some impact even in Britain. You know, you have to remember, in you know, for, for those of you watching in America, which I guess is most of you, you know, we have in England, um, pub well, we had public health England. It's been closed down because it, it screwed up on the pandemic. But we had public health England. <laughs> And the, the current government is of the same mind. It was actively pro-vaping, right? We are going to have e-cigarettes prescribed on our health service quite soon. Um, and yet, despite all the positive messages coming out of the government, our, our public health agencies, understanding and knowledge about vaping, the risks and benefits compared to smoking has gone backwards massively, massively, especially in the last three or four years. Yeah. It's definitely been a big part of that. The junk science from the likes of Glance has definitely been a big part of that. Um, but it, it, you know, it goes against what is genuinely a consensus in this country. We're one of the few countries that actually has a proper consensus yeah. where you know, our health agencies are promoting it. You go to stop smoking clinics and they will tell you to start vaping. They will recommend it pretty much as the first thing they do. You can buy cigarettes everywhere. We have flavors, you know, as many as you want, you know. <laughs> um, and it's gone backwards here. And it's gone backwards across Europe. And it's gone backwards everywhere. It's been an incredibly successful um, disinformation war yeah. waged by the likes of particularly Mike Bloomberg, obviously, with his many, many millions of dollars. Um, this guy is a, is a curse upon the earth, as far as I'm concerned. You know, he could have done so much good with that money. 
and he's spending it on trying to get e-cigarettes banned and getting taxes on soda. You know, it's just, it's ludicrous. It's obscene. Um, so yeah, look, thing, things are, are getting worse. And but the, the, I mean, the reason I mentioned that study was because I, I knew things were getting worse, but I didn't know they were that bad. <laughs> I didn't know they were that bad. I mean, this is like this 8% basically of people don't think uh, vaping causes popcorn lung. That's more or less the lizard's man, lizard man constant. You know, you're familiar with the lizard man constant? <laughs> it's a, the, the number of people in any survey who believe that the world is run by lizards. Right. <laughs> About that kind of proportion, right? Yeah. Okay. In the survey, somewhere around 5% of people would give you an insane random answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's and, and it doesn't help any that you see so many you know people like our surgeon general putting all this stuff out there uh you see celebrity doctors who are on tv putting this stuff out there like i said this guy who i was just talking about and i can't remember nathan something or i don't remember what his name is i'm gonna send you the link because if you don't want to blog on it i'd be surprised because it is okay. insane what he's been saying i mean he's got like four hundred sixty thousand followers on youtube i mean just they put this stuff out and they and, he, and in this whole video he's just saving it as fact you know that that vaping is more addictive than smoking and we know I and mean, he uses the words we know that so many times that i'm yelling at my screen going no we don't and you're lying <laughs> you know and it's, yeah. it's arrogant, like arrogant people just on TV are the absolute worst. i'm sorry what arrogant family doctors on tv are the absolute worst yeah like i mean you know he's physician, tv physicians yeah, yeah I mean, he's a neurologist or something. Usually, because people kind of you know trust him. And yeah, and and then when we try to talk to people on talk to them on like what's that guy's name? Tahik Tahir or Tahik? I can never pronounce his name, but people are always tweeting with him. I mean, I, I'm on Twitter a lot because of this job, so I do see a lot of these posts and I see a lot of these interactions and I see a lot of the bad stuff coming out from people um, saying negative things, and I see. A lot of us, I, I try to stay back and kind of let, let let the gang do their thing, but they get blocked all the time. Even if they just share a link from like, you know, the Cochrane Report or from Health England or from, you know, a, a valid source. Yeah. And they'll be like, here, you might want to watch this, you know, or read this and blocked. And then they go and, and say, wow, it's really... Yeah, the, the vaping people are really angry. They, yeah, they're so mean, too. Say, they always do that. It's like these people come out, they lie through their teeth in a really damaging way. They get backlash from, you know, what you, we have to admit, they're a pretty, you know, organized group of uh, people, vapors. I don't know, yeah, maybe organized isn't the word, but there's, there are, they are a concentrated interest group who feel very passionately about vaping. My theory is because they're ex-smokers, right? Ex-smokers are always like the most fanatical ones. And um, <laughs> as an ex-smoker myself. Hey, now I'm an ex-smoker. But I read your book, so I know better. <laughs> and but then, you know, so these journalists, like they, they, you know, throw the petrol bomb into the into the garage, run away, and go. Wow, people really got upset by that. It's pretty. I guess I touched a nerve, you know. Journalists, doctors, politicians. Yeah, they'll just throw that out. But there's a question here that somebody had for yeah, you, and now I can't yeah, find it. Yeah, so we are we are at the end of the hour here, but I did right. want to get to this question and ask uh, one sort of concluding question. Um, I think they, they may, may be in this. I'm going to try to link these two questions together. Uh, but first, from, from Mark Sliss, uh, how much uh, does the UK public trust the Public Health England and the NHS 
and also, and which I think this is all sort of part of this, um, the, uh, my, uh, sort of, you know, how I can get up in the morning every day and keep doing this is I, I sort of have this core belief that because smoking touches everybody, I, I mean, ev all of us know someone who has died early from smoking has, has lived in agony because of smoking. Everybody around the world knows at least one person. Uh, so this is a very popular issue. Um, my, sort of question, I, I have some degree of confidence that this would be the case, but it's still a question is, uh, if we can get this right, if we can turn the tide on this issue, is it possible to kind of kick the door open on a bunch of other stuff? Because I, I feel like just like we all know someone who's died early from smoking, we also can, I think it's easy to see how interconnected all of these issues are, whether we're talking about substance use or uh, you know, driving too much or diets and exercise, healthy lifestyle stuff. Uh, if, if we can turn the tide around this, can we actually get in the United States? I'm going to let you answer about Public Health England and the NHS. But, you know, can we get in the United States a CDC that we can trust or an FDA that we could, that are actually functioning as arbiters of, of good and bad information? Um, what what are your thoughts on that? So I don't quite understand the question. So you're saying that if we win this battle with vaping, can we get a kind of snowball effect and, and what liberalize a lot of other things? I, I think that's that's probably the simpler way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, for the first question, I mean, the NHS is the most revered institution in, in the United Kingdom by some distance, with the possible exception of the royal family in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, it's just... It, it, Every survey suggests that it is um, adored beyond all reason. And I mean all reason because it's a really terrible system. <laughs> it kills thousands and thousands of people every year. And oh, no. People have this kind of cognitive distance and they know that they've waited nine months for an operation and the tumour is getting bigger, but they still worship it because it's free at the point of use. But yeah, do people trust it? I think basically they do. I don't know whether people trust in public health England particularly, but I, 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 I think you know pretty much so. And yeah, maybe he meant what they say about vaping. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think people thought it was. I mean, if anything, because public health England was known as a nanny state agency, the kind of organisation who would ban anything. So the fact that they were saying actually this is a good thing, it probably was more powerful, you know, because they were yeah. people were used to them saying, "Well, don't drink and eat your greens and blah blah blah." And they were going. Well, actually, vaping's cool. You should. You should. You know, if you're a smoker, you should. You should definitely give it a go. Um, so I think they were a trusted source in that sense. But it made no difference to the worldwide, you know, panic. It made no difference to the the Valley line, the popcorn line, the rest of the stuff. We fell for it, uh, not quite as much as other countries, but not far off. You know. Um, and to your question, Alex. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, no, I think is the answer. I mean. Um, <laughs> I'm always waiting for this tipping point, you know, at which the public gets sick of being told what to do and they overturn what's the, the final straw and they then go, actually, this is the same thing, this was the same thing. I think there will be a final straw. I just don't think it will lead to a snowball effect. Um, I mean, I, in, in Britain, probably other countries, I think the final straw will be the um, food control, for want of a better word. After alcohol control and tobacco control, it'd be food control. And uh, you're not dealing with a persecuted minority there. You're dealing with everyone 
you know. Uh, yeah, and everybody who's watching, you know, will give you the list and everything. But Christopher writes about all of this stuff on his blog about what they're trying to do with alcohol, what they're trying to do with food. That's why Bloomberg, I'm sure, was on your radar long before he got into the vaping thing because of the whole soda tax and all that. Um, just just the general nanny state and and the the book that's behind him, Killjoys. Uh, can I share that? I, I'll share the. Uh, that's not published. Published though, I only saw the PDF. No, there's there's hard copies available, but um, oh, okay, I didn't see it on I didn't see it on Amazon. You can download it for oh, okay. free from the IA web. Just Google it; you'll find it on the IA website. You can okay. I was looking for it on Amazon. I didn't see it, but I will, I will provide links to that. I just I just started reading that too, and um, you, you gotta he you really in the beginning of Casa helped us see what we were up against. And I think that's one of the reasons why we didn't become just a vaping organization. We became a tobacco harm reduction organization. We tried to make sure we were inclusive and not just saying, well, this is our favorite way to quit. And this is all. And, and that's something else you wrote about in in um, Velvet Glove was that a lot of the pipe smokers and the cigar smokers were perfectly willing to give up cigarette smokers in the beginning because they weren't coming after them. And we saw that exactly start happening with the vapors and saying, well, you know, I don't have to have clouds and I don't need 50 milligrams. So go ahead and ban that. I don't need this flavor or that flavor. So to me, that's one of the reasons why your books are just require reading if you're advocacy they've got it they would have seen what i was trying to tell people look you're doing the same mistake you're doing the same thing that you can't come you know complain these people you can't this is not going to work if you start throwing each other under the bus because they're going to come for you and i learned that from your book so <laughs> that's one of the reasons why i tell people they need to uh, yeah. freedom is indivisible and the, all these issues are, are related it kind of comes back to alex's question um which i think that the, the full answer to is if you know you guys win the, the the war on vaping if we i think we in britain touch wood i think we kind of have you know uh, but it certainly hasn't led to a rollback of the nanny state and that's for a quite understandable reason actually which is that vaping is seen as something that advances the cause of public health whereas the other stuff is a threat to public health so all that needs to be done is you 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 like the nanny state index mentioned before okay this is a league table of of countries around Europe, and we we um, we rank them for overregulation of tobacco, food, soft drinks, alcohol, and vaping. Well, vaping is clearly the odd one out there, right? Because it's not nanny state is about paternalism. It's about making people do what's best for them, right, for their health. Vaping shouldn't really be in there because it's not paternalistic to discourage smokers from switching to e-cigarettes. But if you once you disentangle that and say, actually, this isn't. This isn't the same thing at all. This is a more like a you know, dare I say a medicine than a vice. Then you get what you get in Britain, where it's seen as a kind of unofficial smoking cessation device, and overregulating it isn't this nanny state behavior. It's just stupid. It's stupid and counterproductive. Um, so you know, if you, once you win the battle on vaping, which you can only really do on public health grounds, you're not going to do it on libertarian grounds, as you as you know. Um, then it just becomes a separate, it's just in a separate field, it's a separate category. And so people are quite free to carry on going after hamburgers and soda and, uh, you know, cigarettes and alcohol. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, <clears throat> I think we got our answers. We got a lot of great answers and uh, we certainly had a really great time having you on, Chris. And uh, I don't, are you- We have are to you have you again. <laughs> are you- Time. Uh, I, yeah, I, love, I love you guys and your organization. So many are, you, uh, are you headed to GTNF next week? 
I am indeed. I'll be, I'll be getting there on Monday. You're going. Yep, I'm on, I'm on a panel. I'm between uh, Brian King and Brad Radu, so that should be oh, a good time. I'm, I'm on early doors. Uh, I think like the first panel of the whole thing, really, on Tuesday night. Oh, so fantastic! Is it coming for cigarettes? Wonderful. Well, I hope we'll have a chance to chat there, and uh, we'll certainly have you back on as as the situation continues to snowball out of control. Um, and, <laughs> Winter is uh, coming. <laughs> and with that, again, all, all of our gratitude for joining us today on Saturday. Uh, and, and now I'll do the outro uh, stuff I'm supposed to say. If you are new to the CASA live stream, new to CASA, new to this issue at all, please uh, check out our website at CASA.org. It's C-A-S-A-A dot org. Uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram under CASA Media. Uh, that's also where our YouTube stuff lives. Uh, and uh, this live stream, as well as uh, some of the Twitter spaces that we've done uh, and will do in the future, all live on our pages on SoundCloud and Spotify and all the other places where you get podcasts. While you're visiting our website, be sure to check out our, our merch. We have t-shirts that you can go and advocate and style. Danielle's done some amazing work on all the graphics there. Uh, so um, pick it up and uh, be the conversation piece at the next party. Um, and speaking and so, of merch, we will have links to Christopher's books in the description. So. Oh yeah, definitely <laughs> check out the uh, and and you're of course I think in our our we're we're working on or we have started working on kind of a require a, a reading library, uh, all the books and stuff that people should check out uh, also available on our website. So uh, with that, I think we can wrap this up. Only thirteen or fourteen minutes past our expected closing time. <laughs> I do need to uh, just give me just a second here. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, Christopher, thank you again so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And I hope we can get you back on here soon because I have so much stuff I'd love to talk to you about. Pick your brain. <laughs> Make a day. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Awesome.